subscribe. Press Box Banter is the Daily Iowans weekly sports podcast. Each week, we will talk about local, national, and international sports, host a special guest, and talk predictions for upcoming games. This week's edition features Wayne Drakes, longtime ESPN writer and instructor at the University of Iowa, as he talks about his most memorable interviews. Welcome to another edition of Press Box Banter. <laughs> this is <laughs> Assistant Sports Editor uh, Colin Vatsmeyer. We are here with Sports Reporter Brad Schultz. He is in place of Sports Editor Kenna. Uh, I don't have any further comment on her location as of this <laughs> recording. I believe she has some class obligations. You know, we still attend school. I didn't know she had class at this time. Introduce yourself, please, Matt. Yeah, I am Matt. I'm the pregame editor. Ken and I are up in Nebraska on Friday. Spent our Black Friday in the wonderful place of Lincoln, Nebraska, and watched a frankly ugly football game that ended up good for the Hawkeyes. You know, a uh, 13 to 10 Iowa Marshall meter backup kicker hits the 38 yarder for the win. Um, defense once again outstanding. Uh, Nebraska did not enter the red zone at all in the second half. Thoughts? Um, I watched the game with my uh, father in yeah. the living room. Okay. And uh, after covering the team all season, I uh, know of Drew Stevens. Uh, he doesn't know who I am, but okay. uh, it's okay. That's not what I'm going for. Um, but I know of him. I know of his role and his uh, important one at that for the team. So when Marshall Mathers came out for the meter, no. No, Marshall man. Mathers. No, you know who that is? <laughs> no. Marshall Mathers is Eminem. Um, oh, okay. It's like his birth name. Oh. It's his I know that. Name. I've seen him. I don't know that. Okay. Who knows? Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, his name's Marshall Mathers now. <laughs> so when he came out for the field goal, you know, have you ever seen the video of, this is going to be, uh, this is going to have an expletive in it, but um, have you ever okay. seen the video where it's like, Christoph Porzingis getting drafted. Oh, yeah. Like, Who yeah. the fuck is Porzingis? <laughs> that's my classic video. That's, classic video. That was what I, I stood up. I was sitting down the whole game. I don't know if I said a word the whole game. I stood up and I said, Who? And he made it. So, Marshall Mathers, you have my respect. You may never kick another field goal again in your life. But, uh, I mean, pressure makes diamonds. So, good for him. Honestly, I mean, I don't even know what to say uh, after these Iowa games, to be frank with you. Um, I mean, the fact that they sent a kicker who I had never heard of in my entire life until that very moment, and he made the kick, um, just speaks to the volume of how ridiculous and roller coaster that this season has been. And I think every game from here on out, uh, in the Ferentz era, is going to be marked as ugly, as you're saying, Matt. So that's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, Marshall Meter, it's not like he was a guy from the street. I mean, he was at Central Michigan last year. Um, he was decent. Um, but what's crazy is that we were talking at, in the post-game press conferences. He was like, yeah, I was focused on engineering. I, football wasn't exactly in my future plans. 
But that was not but once Aaron Blom, the Hawkeyes backup kicker, was involved with the gambling scandal and yeah, Iowa needed another kicker and uh special teams coordinator Lavar Woods texted Marshall and was like, Hey, you wanna be a Hawkeye? And yeah, it all it all it all all evened out. Um the kick, not exactly high, not exactly great. Just cleared the crossbar. It. it went in. But good enough, yeah. I mean, that was the game as a whole. I know you're watching it with my dad. He's watching it with your dad, Colin. My dad. Afterwards, he texted me during the game. Wait, hang on. Well, I'm not. I'm saying you mentioned your dad. Who's... I'm going to bring, bring up my dad. Oh, okay. That wasn't so clear. I'm, I'm at the game. I'm in the press box. Okay. My dad texts me. He's like, Incoming. there's got to be a point shaving scandal going on. Yeah. Because he took the over, thinking that 26 points. That's got. They got to hit the over. Has he ever but, watched know. Iowa football before? He has. I don't think. Yeah, he, he sees delusional. He thinks they will finally go over. He doesn't get it. No. He says no matter what, the game will always be under. Yes. What's the point total for the Michigan game? Ooh, I think it's it's below forty. I know that. I want to say like thirty-four, maybe. Yeah, it sounds about right. Something like that. We might be in for a treat. Yeah. I you think that you think that one goes over? Um, we'll get to it later. Yeah, well, let's get to it later. Cliffhanger. (laughs) I saw a video where it was like, uh, it was like JJ McCarthy, and he's like all happy and smiling, and it was like six for eight, sixty yards, and it's like you swipe, and it's Deacon Hill, and it's like his head's (laughs) down like this, and it's like twenty for thirty-one, two hundred and (laughs) forty yards. Oh yeah, you know the line from The Dark Knight where he's like. you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. That's, that's Deacon Hill. He's becoming the villain in the Big Ten football. Just watch. Okay. Heisman, okay. Heisman that man <laughs> next year. That's that's pretty bold. <laughs> yeah, very bold. <laughs> I mean, Deacon, he was doing all right until that, that um, second-to-last drive, the interception. Um, he said it was a miscommunication with his receivers. Yeah, just slightly, it was an overthrow, sort of into sort of double coverage he threw it into. Mm-hmm. Not his best decision. But, hey, it could have been a lot worse. For as big a dude he is, he looked pretty agile being able to, you know, pitch that ball out when he was, when his butt was like that two inches away from hitting the end that, zone. That was pretty good by him. <laughs> but the thing I want to mention, too, is right when Nebraska got that interception, uh, the holding penalty, mm-hmm. that to me is the difference in that game. Uh, without that, uh, the Huskers are going to have the ball Oh, 35-yard line maybe, and mm. they're probably going to get 5, 10 yards and win the game. Yeah. And I think that is the play that we need to look back at and say, Nebraska, Nebraska again, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another collapse. Yeah. Not, yeah, Matt Rule, first year, didn't go as he wanted to, you know. Haven't made a bowl game since 2015. That's just crazy, my And they're, like, eyes. one of the greatest college football teams ever. Uh Believe it or not, in the pregame Programs. intros, the pregame intros, which is actually pretty hype. They walk through this tunnel, a bunch of smoke. It's actually pretty cool. But they play the Bulls, like the serious music, you know, the da-da-da. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 they play that. And it's like, they think, and if you look at the record, they kind of did, they had their own dynasty in the 90s. Didn't they, they won. win, like, a handful of championships? Yeah, uh, Brad. Was it three? Well, no? three? Three titles in four years. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Not quite six, but three and four years, it's a dynasty right there. Yeah. But it's been a long time That's since those days. Oh my! Will they get there eventually? No. Who knows? Uh, I mean, <laughs> the first step for Nebraska football is to change the uniforms. The second step Ooh. is to diversify the logo, and the third step is to fix the helmets. They need like an Oregon, like Miami rebuild. That's what we need here. What is to ditch the red and red and white? 
What do they oh, call no, it? Sorry, the scarlet and cream is what they call it. That's not <laughs> They, no, they need like a complete, they can keep the colors, they just need yeah. a rebrand. Like just a little what, not have the N anymore? Like if I told you, if I gave you a piece of paper and I said, draw me a capital N and you drew it for me, that's, that's literally <laughs> just the logo. Yeah. There's no like, there's nothing to it. Yeah. Plus you had Northwestern anyway. Like you can't have two N's. What the hell is a corn husker? What is that? <laughs> well, husk someone corn. who like shucks corn or whatever, uh, whatever I think it's so. called. <laughs> isn't it like a little like white guy, like a blonde white guy too? <laughs> well, isn't uh, it? Like, or yeah, I think their mascot. Yeah, it was just like a, just a person. And then they've got a second mascot. That's I'm not like some sort of it. balloon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the balloon. That to me is yeah. And it was like you know like the Benny the Bull is like inflated, <laughs> like they balloon have one of from Phineas and Ferb. You know that episode. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I know that, was, that was just a regular balloon, though. It's like a full body size balloon. Oh, like the Michelin, not Michelin. Yeah, no, like no, the, it's not like the Michelin. What? Pump up guys, you know, who like flow around. In like the parking this. lots? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, this one had arms and legs. So do they. Yeah, but I guess overall, recap yeah, the Nebraska game, classic Iowa football, classic Big Ten game, 26 degrees. Oh, my God. Iowa prevails somehow, some way. 10 wins, fourth time in Kirk Ferentz's tenor as a head coach with a 10-win regular season. And this, arguably some could say, would be the hardest year they've done it, having all those injuries. And even more happened in that Nebraska game. Caleb Brown went down, Jennings Dunker went down. Um, but as of today, this day of recording, I was at Kirk Ferentz said that, or no, Caleb Brown himself said that he should be ready to go for Saturday. He's been practicing this week. As for Jennings Dunker, uh, he, pr- he didn't practice Monday, but he practiced for some of Tuesday, and he is hopeful for this week and yeah uh moving away from the gridiron let's go to the hardwood um you know iowa women's basketball game against kansas state on you know the hit channel flow hoops colin i believe you watched that game i watched all three of them yes (laughs) uh oh man where do i start purdue fort wayne game one didn't know that was a division one school it is division what conference Mm, <laughs> doesn't, matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. Independent. We'll <laughs> call them independent. <laughs> the issue with watching, so then they played Florida Gulf, Florida Gulf Coast, which is actually a decent school. Actually receives a couple of AP votes for the poll. Um, the difficulty with watching these games was that you'll watch probably the first quarter and a half, and they'll be up by forty, and it'll be the most boring game to watch for the rest because none of the, like the star players are in. So like like. There's nothing. If I'm reporting on the game, like what am I, what am I gonna write down? But like, <laughs> it's just it gets tough to watch because there's no, there's no like it, it's not like the Kansas State game was a close game and so that was actually fun to write on because it was back and forth the whole time. They came back at the end, um, but like the Purdue Fort Wayne FGCU games were just blowouts and so at that point you're like, all right, everyone's kind of sit on the bench there's not you know there's not as much to watch um yeah flow hoops was the uh channel of choice my dad had to buy like a free trial or something like that my mom was like make sure you set a reminder so you know (laughs) we go in and cancel it before we actually get charged for it after the free trial is up but i don't know it was oh my god did you cancel it i hope uh, that's up to my dad. Oh boy! I think he will. He was okay. like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yeah, I'll remember." So we'll see. If How much does, is it per month? Uh, it was like twenty bucks, I oh, think. What do you? Okay. Still I can't believe I don't know what games you would be watching on there. You know? I don't know. Dude. Besides, for schools I've never heard of were like on the side panel. <laughs> it's almost and like the quality of like a high school broadcast. Yes. You know? Yes. 
And this is so. Let, let me describe it to you. I don't know. Did you guys watch it? Anyone? Either no. of you watch a little bit. Okay. So you have the Flow Hoops subscription. No, I don't. I don't. Okay. You bootlegged it. Yep. <laughs> We're admitting to stream piracy west. on this. Stream, stream east west. and stream west. Yeah. Um. So you'll watch, basically, you'll watch, just like a big wide like pan of the game, and then the game will start. And then the announcers will buzz in. And the play-by-play was pretty decent, but the color commentating was just really, oh, my gosh. It was like Caitlin could dribble down the court and drill a three. And the guy would be like, oh, Caitlin Clark dribbles down the court, steps back left three, oh, bang, whatever. And then the color commentator would be like, she does that a lot. I'm like, well, duh. I mean, you're not, you're not color commentating on much. You're just giving me black and white commentating, so... But then, like, they'll be like, all right, the play-by-play, actually, he was a good, he was he was decent, and he'll be like, all right, now we're going to go into break. And then they would, like, you, you wouldn't be able to hear anything. So then I'd, I'd cut off of, I'd click off of the site, and I'd go to WordPress to start typing whatever I'm going to write, and I wouldn't mute it because I figured, oh, okay, we're just going to be, uh, like, sitting here in silence waiting for them to come back. Boom, Napoleon ad. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix is yelling like for Narnia in your ear, and it's like, oh, my God. So then I, at that point, I would just mute it, and then I wouldn't know when the game was starting, and it was just half of that is my fault anyways, but we could have at least lowered the volume down on the Napoleon ad. Um, so, yeah, I did that for three straight days. Um, but the Kansas State game was actually pretty good. Um, back and forth, and then... Down to crunch time. It was a close game. They came back, eventually tied it up. Um, Caitlin hit that step back shot to the left. Um, so, yeah, that was a good game. And obviously, I mean, on a serious note, it serves as good momentum for them going into Bowling Green, which would be a blowout on Saturday. And then Iowa State on Wednesday. And then Cleveland State after that. So, I mean, I don't see. Iowa State will be tough just because it's in Ames, but I don't see Iowa losing a game for the next <laughs> month. So, so yeah, good momentum for them. Yeah, um, yeah, this weekend of domination was certainly needed for Iowa women's basketball. Um, well, obviously you had the Drake game, another win, but before that, you know, the last time they played Kansas State this season, arguably probably the, one of their worst performances of the season, probably the worst performance, hopefully, for Kansas Iowa State? fans. Yeah, the yeah. first time they've... First yeah, time they played the them, you know, yep. hitting only two, three pointers the whole game. Um, yeah, I mean, you're not going to win a game that way, especially the, the way Iowa's roster is constructed. I think the thing about going undefeated in the regular season is that come postseason play, you don't know how to deal with what's you're not you're not fixing what's broken. You know what I'm saying? If you win every game playing lower tier teams. You you turn around and you play like a, I don't know, like a Virginia Tech, for example, in the postseason. That's the first really good team you play. You're going to have a hard time. You know, if, you, if you're playing, if you're a fifth grader and you're playing the third graders at recess, when you go play the fifth graders, <laughs> you know, it's going to be, you can hang with them, but it's going to be a lot harder. You know what I'm saying? Um so yeah, I think I mean shout out goes to the team and and the and Lisa Bluter specifically just in in terms of scheduling like a tougher team, a couple of tougher teams. I mean Drake is a solid program, Iowa State's a solid program, Virginia Tech you get once, Kansas State you get twice, 
you know. So I think this just prepares them for a Big Ten play and b postseason play where they're going to be prepared against any team they see. Um, and uh, shout out to the Hawkeye faithful too. Yeah. Uh, they were down there in big numbers, so uh-huh. I know uh, Lisa company uh-huh. appreciate that for sure. I didn't know that uh, Iowans like to retire in Florida, but I guess it I mean, it bridges the Kim Reynolds Ron DeSantis gap, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah, and it doesn't snow on November twenty sixth or whatever. No, it does not. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, moving on to it rains pretty heavily though in the spring. <laughs> okay. Yep. Big big Florida guy. Uh, well, it's called hurricane season. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but uh, I think a hurricane's more than just rain. Yeah. There's some wind involved uh, as well. You know, a little bit, just a little bit. I I would take snow <laughs> over a hurricane personally. Okay, but that's just me. I don't know. I've never <laughs> been to New Orleans in 2008 or 2005, um, okay. so I can't speak to that directly. But uh, okay. just an educated guess. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. You know, more basketball talk here. The men's basketball um, had a Thanksgiving game against Oklahoma. That was did not go too well. You know, I just finished watching Packers-Lions. I'm like, oh, I might as well throw in the men's basketball game, see what's going on. And I see Peyton Sanford just get dunked on. Like, he got, he put, he got postered. He, he, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he even got a hand, like, in the guy's face. So, that, like, the guy dunking couldn't see, and he still just yammed it on him. Mm. And then... Even more, that was in in the ten minutes I watched that game. It was probably the most comical game I've ever seen. You had the the elusive. I don't think I've ever seen this before. The elusive double foul. Um, they called the a charge and a block. At the one ref called the charge, the other one called the block. They went in and reviewed it, and then after the review, they said both were true, and yet and it was just a dead ball. Iowa still has the ball. Wait, that's officials are just getting started, folks. Yeah, it's like, get worse. A they charge call, and a foul. At they the call the charge and a block not, at the same time. A charge and a block at the same time is not possible. And if anything, it should have been a foul on just uh, the Oklahoma guy because Cricky's just backing down in the paint, and what's he supposed to do? It's clean. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, refs just I don't know. They you like you can't. It's it's a paradox. Two things cannot. Those two things cannot exist no, at the same can't. time. It's one or the other. Yeah. Wow. And as you can imagine, Fran was not happy. <laughs> Another cool moment mm-hmm. I saw from that game was um, Tony Perkins is on defense, and, you know, the uh, Oklahoma guard um, pulls up short at the elbow, kind of fakes a shot. But Tony Perkins, like, jumps over him, just clears him entirely. Yes. Like Vince Carter. Yes. Yeah. Just on the other way. That was single-handedly the best highlight of that game. <laughs> to be was honest Tony with you. Perkins yeah. jumped over. Yeah. He jumped. So in basketball, you're told not to bite um, pump fakes. Not only did he, <laughs> he bit on the pump fake, and he, <laughs> pause, swallowed it. Pause. <laughs> swallowed the pump. He chewed it up, and okay. he yeah. ingested the pump fake. That's how bad it was. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. It's safe to say Oklahoma covered that one-point spread. They won 79-67, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so not a good game by any means for Iowa. They only hit one three-pointer, two three-pointers. They didn't hit, didn't hit a, thir- a one three-pointer until the second half. I first think three. they hit four as a team, but pretty much one when it really mattered most. It was just yeah. a couple at the end. But yeah. just really uninspiring from the team. Uh, you would have thought that they would have come out with more fire. 
um, especially after playing well against Creighton. Um, but Oklahoma's a good team, and they're now, uh, I believe, in the Unde- AP Top 25. Yeah, they're well. undefeated still, undefeated. I believe, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So shout out to that program, and yeah. Yeah, no, next day then, Black Friday, um, game against Seton Hall. Oh, nice, nice rebound, literally, and yeah, they come in and win that game. Yeah, it's the second win over Seton Hall in the last two years. Uh, they beat him up in New Jersey last year and took it to him again. Uh, really played well offensively. Uh, definitely shot the three ball a lot better. Um, and, yeah, they wanted the game. Simple as that. And they got a much-needed win. And that will serve as huge boost of confidence moving forward. And um, next game for them is, well, it'll be Wednesday um, of this week against North Florida. Uh, so North Florida, another one of those odd, unusual non-conference meetings. Um, hopefully it's not as ugly as Arkansas State. Um, that game, a lot of fouling. Iowa still prevailed by 12, but just what didn't was an ugly game. A lot of, a lot of free throw line attempts. But yeah, this North Florida team, known for shooting threes. And my prediction is Iowa wins that game. Because by the time this podcast comes out, that game already happened. I think yeah. Iowa wins by... I'm going to say 17. That's my prediction. I think uh, North Florida is actually going to hang around a little bit, okay. too. Um, Iowa's schedule gets real after this. and it does. A lot of tough games, especially Purdue mm-hmm. um, on the horizon. And, yeah, but Iowa's going to win. Against Purdue or North Florida? Against North Florida. Okay, I was like, okay. Purdue, okay. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, after North Florida, it's I believe it's it's believe it's Purdue Purdue away and Michigan on the road or Purdue uh, away Iowa Michigan. State in between. Oh yeah, yep. So yeah, it, this tournament was needed for both teams honestly because the schedules only get harder from here. Uh, so that does it for the intro segment. Now we are going to bring Kenna back in for our interview with ESPN longtime ESPN writer Wayne Drace. Um, he'll give you all of his information in due time. All right, so we are here today with Wayne Drace. He is now a professor here in the School of Journalism and Mass Communication. But before that, at the top of his resume is Emmy Award winner, as well as 23 years at ESPN. 23 years. 23 years at ESPN. Wayne, thanks for joining us today. We got a lot of questions for you, especially Matt. This is awesome. I'm excited to be here, even though Matt's got four pages of questions. (laughs) Before a podcast, you know, it only takes me like 10 minutes. I just sit down. Yeah, just write write what comes to mind. I don't always ask every question, but I mean, to start off, how would you get to start off? How would you get your start in journalism? Wow, I'm just going to dive right in. Uh, My start in journalism. um, So... Uh, I was in a high school journalism class. I grew up in Addison, Illinois, not far from O'Hare. I was in a high school journalism class where, actually, no, I was in a high school English class that was taught by the journalism guy, whatever. Anyway, long story short, he complained every day in class that nobody would write for the school paper. We had school paper back then. And he was kind of annoying and would complain all the time about it. And essentially, like, he gave extra credit if somebody would join the paper. And so just so he would, like, shut up and i get extra credit, i joined the paper. Uh, and then I liked it and did it for like 30 years. Yeah. There you go. Well, well simple <laughs> enough. 
Simple enough. So, did you not want the high school start? Did you want something else? No, is that okay? Yeah, high school's right. fine. All right. Yeah. The other thing I would say too is I remember growing up, my mom and dad would read the paper every morning, mm-hmm. and they would like ignore me when they read the paper, <laughs> and I and I distinctly remember being like when I was a kid, I want to do something where I'm that important that the parents will ignore their kid to like re like pay attention to something like that. Not that I was neglected. <laughs> my parents, my parents are nice people, but. Um, but that's how I was like, man, like this newspaper thing has value. It has importance in our house in the morning. And I want to do something where I have value and importance in people's houses in the morning. So, Another thing I forgot to add on is that you graduated from the University of Iowa. Um, I know when, when we talk, you always like to mention uh, the first semester, the first year at Iowa. Can you dive into that a little bit you before the journalism? story on a podcast? <laughs> um, Yes, I will share that my first semester at the University of Iowa, I struggled mightily with working at the Daily Iowan, um, living on my own in a college town where there are a lot of opportunities to do things, whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do them, and also doing like the classwork of being a college freshman, which most of you probably know. Um, those are some of the hardest classes you take when you're early in college. They kind of weed out the people who don't want to be here. They almost weeded me out. Uh, I got a 1.67 GPA in my first semester. Yeah. And <laughs> I, uh, I, was, I wasn't sure I wanted to be a teacher or a journalist, and I got this nice little letter from the school of education, whatever it's called now, that they said basically, like, um, you are not going to be a teacher with that kind of GPA. Fix it, or we're going to make you go home. And then come full circle, now I'm back here teaching. So I turned it around, needless to say. Well, I mean, I was at your GPA – Improved a little bit to graduate. It improved from Iowa. a lot. It improved a lot. <laughs> and that, so then, upon graduation, what what was your start like professionally? So I graduated uh, in two thousand at a super super interesting time where the internet was kind of just getting going. Um, I mean, I remember literally in college, there was like one kid who had his own personal computer on our on our floor at Mayflower, and you know we'd go on the internet in his room. And we would like like look up like pictures of Ken Griffey Jr. and you'd click the picture, and then you'd wait for it to load and you'd like leave the room and like go make some ramen or something. You'd come back and like the picture had on like like revealed itself. You're like why like that's the degree that we were working with. Um, that was in the middle of college. At the end, the internet was kind of this new weird thing, and like you know ESPN.com had started. I had sent about 110 roughly cover letters, clips, and resumes to every newspaper sports magazine, a website I could think of. Um, one of them was ESPN, and they uh, called me for an interview in Chicago. And um, basically, I mean, I, I did well in the interview. They liked my clips, and they hired me to be one of the first writers for ESPN.com at a time when, I mean, to be honest, when I started in that fall of 2000, we couldn't get credentials. We couldn't get passes for a Tennessee-Florida football game because we were a website. Like, that's how, like, um, young uh, sports journalism, journalism itself was on the internet. Um, so I got really lucky, and literally ESPN, writing for ESPN was my first job out of college. Did you always want to do sports writing? That's a great question. Um, I, like so many other people, was a um, failed athlete uh, growing up, and so my thing was... Um, I was, I loved sports. I loved being around athletes and I wanted to kind of, as I got older, I was really fascinated by 
why what why is Michael Jordan the greatest athlete ever and not somebody else? And I don't and I and I came to realize that I didn't think it was purely athletic talent. That like I believe there are people more talented than Michael Jordan in the world. But there was makeup, there was um, you know, his determination, things like that. And I wanted to help kind of reveal who those athletes were and how they got to that point. Having said that. I will tell you that, you know, like later in high school when I was like the editor of the paper, whatever, I didn't do any sports. And when I walked into the office at the DI to apply for a job my third day in Iowa City, they're like, do you have, do you want to do sports? Do you want to do news? I'm like, I don't really care. I just love journals and want to tell stories. And it so happened that the opening was in sports. And so they put me in sports and I never left and it worked out well. But I was open to whatever. And even like, even during my time, my long time at ESPN, I was never necessarily a quote-unquote sports writer. Like, be, as a feature writer, my stories were about politics and race and culture and uh, people who had, you know, issues with their parents and, like, you know, everything outside of, like, essentially who won and lost. Um, it was more exploring why that had happened to that particular individual or that team or that coach than it was how it happened. And so you mentioned Michael Jordan, and one of the most interesting pieces that I've read from you is the one where you were there for, I think it was the last game that he played at United Center. Can you walk the, us the through? The last game of his career. Oh, so the was it the Wizards then? Uh, with the Wizards, okay. and they were playing in Philadelphia that night. Can you walk us through kind of what that story was like? Yeah, I, th- I mean, that was... So at that point in ESPN, you know, we didn't have an arsenal of NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB writers... Uh, there were a few in each sport, but I was kind of a general assignment guy that they would send and kind of do these one-off stories. And so they sent me, I asked, and they sent me to Jordan's last game. Now, you have to understand that, like, I grew up in Chicago in the 80s where, like, he was on my wall, right? Like, I mean, like, Michael Jordan was a, was a god to me. Like, I had, to, you know, Air Jordans when I was a kid, and I still wear them as an adult. But, like, so, to, so and I, I was there, I was in New York, um... When he came back and played his first game at the Garden with the Wizards, and I remember being there for that press conference, and I was just, like, in awe. Um, There aren't many athletes when you are in this business that you're in awe of or uncomfortable asking questions to. Michael Jordan made me nervous. Um, But the last night in Philadelphia, um, I remember just feeling incredibly lucky and incredibly fortunate to be able to be there. Um... You know, I remember sitting in the press box that night and, and you know, Michael was, uh, he, would, he would hate me for saying this, but a fraction of the player that he was that I grew up watching in the United Center um, and missing shots. He didn't play great that night. But I just remember sitting there and being like, this is crazy that I'm here for the last game of arguably the greatest athlete of our generation uh, of his career. And then, you know, and, and one of the things that's great about writing for the internet back then was, we didn't have a print deadline. So well, everybody writing for the Chicago Tribune or the Philadelphia Inquirer or whatever had to get in the first edition and the second edition and meet all these different deadlines. We had the beauty online of, not that you could take you know, five hours to report your story, but if there was something cool going on and you could go get another, another scene or another quote from somebody to put in your story that no one else had, we would do that. And I remember that night telling myself, no matter what happens, I'm walking out of the arena tonight when Michael Jordan leaves for the last time. 
I was like, I'm doing that. And I'm painting that story, painting that picture, whatever it is, I'm, I'm doing that. And, um, and I did, I mean, you know, I wasn't like walking next to him, but like with the, the, the mob of people, I don't know how many there were, I don't really remember 10, 15, maybe who were leaving with him. I was in that group painting the picture of like, what does it look like when, you know, again, the, the, the greatest athlete of all time leaves the arena for, for the, for the final time. So then what would you say to someone who says, uh, probably 20 years later now that, that Wizardston has tainted Michael Jordan's legacy? Would you agree? No, no, I'd say you're nuts. I'd say, um, that if you understand his level of competitiveness and drive, it completely makes sense that he was unable to, to quit, to give it up, um, when he quote unquote should have, um, I would guess if you crawled into his mind today, and I think he's 55 now, roughly, I'll bet you in his head he still thinks he could compete in the NBA and be successful. I mean, he's that confident and that competitive, and so it doesn't surprise me at all that he, um, you know, tried to do that and, uh, and wanted to prove to the younger generation that he still was the man and so on and so forth. I mean, like, Willie Mays played for the Mets. Nobody remembers that. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's all good. You know, the last dance, it ends with the seventh championship, and it all it's all good. So is it safe to say that Michael Jordan's your greatest basketball player ever? Yes. We don't have enough time to get in that argument, <laughs> and, you don't, and you don't want to get in that argument. Well, I'd take MJ and the Bull on this Bulls team any day. So, um, but then I feel like talking about MJ, you just following him around, um, most of your stories, sometimes the best stuff, comes not during an interview, but re- you just rather following that athlete around. So what are some other instances where that's happened? That's a good question. Um, let me think. I mean... The Pele story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did a story before the World Cup in Brazil where I um, spent time with Pele uh, in New York and in Brazil. Um, and it was it was fascinating in both places, but maybe even a little bit more so in Brazil to, um, it was fascinating to see the way Brazilian people reacted to him, not even necessarily uh, person to person, but the knowledge that he was coming someplace for that day, that day, right? Like, like he was coming to do an interview with me, and that was all he was supposed to do this day at the club where he played, and the word got out that he was going to do this interview with me, and all of a sudden, the club set up this massive, like, fundraiser, and, like, UNICEF was coming, and they put these huge purple drapes up, and it became this huge, like, Pele day. And I remember, this is the lead to my story, I think, like, this woman in the streets in, like at, like, 8 a.m., and she was in almost, like, a orange, like, prisoner jumpsuit, if I remember correctly. She wasn't a prisoner. But she was out there sweeping the streets outside outside the stadium because, like, Pele was coming this day, right? And so just to see, to be able to put into context what an athlete means to, uh, you know, to, to, to a nation, to a soccer culture, you know, based on their anticipation of his arrival was interesting. The other story I would tell, this is the first thing that popped into my head when you said that is, um, I don't know if you guys remember, it was a professional wrestler named Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Um, and he... Uh, tried to go and play in the NFL for the Vikings. And he and I went and had dinner together one night before he was going to play for the Vikings. And 
I don't remember exactly what happened. It's in my stories a long time ago. But essentially, somebody came up to him in the restaurant after we had dinner and said something to him that, that irritated him. And like I said, I don't remember the exact details, but he got all irritated and, and pissed off and yelled at this person. And I put it in my story. And the reason I did was to me it revealed that, you know, the antics and the behavior that you can get away with as a professional wrestler are not that of a professional football player. They're not really that far apart, but, you know, especially at that time, it was different. And I was kind of revealing, like, hey, like, can this guy make the transition? And the point I wanted to make was the transition is more than just can he physically handle it? Can he be successful? It was a different way of carrying yourself. Um, and, again, that was revealed by just having dinner and watching him, you know, scream and yell at this, at this individual uh, in this restaurant. And as in terms of one-on-one -on -one interviews, how do you approach those? In terms of what? Like, you'd say maybe someone's just not as friendly with the media. How do you approach them? Right. So the one thing is if somebody – most of the time with my stories, if somebody's agreeing to sit down with me, they're doing so with some sort of motivation of what they want to get out of it, right? They want to change their public image. They, um, you know, want to get more endorsements. Whatever the case may be, like the majority of people who, who will agree to sit down and give me the kind of time and access that I would ask for and need to write kind of a definitive profile about someone, they're trying to spin me. So it's less about them being combative or difficult than it is me trying to uh, sift through the spin they're trying to put on things to help me see that they're this like amazing, perfect person when the reality is like none of us are that way, right? Um, they're trying to spin. I'm trying to dig, not that I'm like a digging up bad things muckraker journalist, but but you want to find the truth somewhere in the middle. So that was always the issue is, especially earlier in my career, I'm a very positive kind of optimistic person. And so I would go, I mean, here's, here's the best example I can tell you. They assigned me to do a story on Barry Bonds when Barry was in the middle of the home run chase. Barry Bonds, by all accounts, I mean, hundreds of examples, one of the biggest jerks to ever deal with in a, in a, in a, in a clubhouse, after a game, whatever, right? And they sent me to New York for a weekend to kind of write the story of, like, Barry in New York and the chaos of all this in the middle of the home run chase. I did not get a one-on-one -on -one sit down with Barry. The story was essentially all observation. Okay, so we're at Shea Stadium this one day, and this fan comes down this, this, uh, during batting practice and is yelling, Barry, Barry, can you sign my ball? And throws the ball at Barry. And the ball hits Barry in the side of the head. Right? And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, it's about to go down, right? Barry picks the ball up, turns around, and goes, who the hell threw this? And this little kid's like, uh, it was me. And Barry goes, dude. He's like, you have to look before you throw the ball, man. He's like, he hit me in the head. He's like, I could have gotten hurt. And he was like the most chill, calm, whatever. Okay. Signs the ball to the kid, and he signed it like, look where you're throwing or something like that. <laughs> Barry Bonds gives the kid the ball. Okay. I'm like, this is a crazy story. Then I go over and talk to these other people who were talking to Barry a lot. They're this, like, family from New York that, like, has known Barry forever. And every time he comes to New York, the family comes out and sees him and on and on and on. And I write the story that's basically, like, Barry Bond's not a bad guy. 
Because I was, again, I was just like optimistic. Like, look, like he's misunderstood, right? Dude, I had so many reporter friends who were like, dude, you saw like the only two examples the entire year of him being like a great, nice, easy to deal with person. I was like, oh, my bad. Um, but so that was always, that was always the point was to try to find the reality of who somebody is. And that goes for sports or anything. Um, and you do that by talking to as many people as possible, gathering as many of those anecdotes and moments as possible, um, things like that. You know, I, I did a story once and then I'll let you guys talk, but I did a story once on, um, Bodie Miller, who's an Olympic skier, Mm -hmm. one of the most decorated skiers in American history. And at the end of all the time I spent with him in the reporting, uh, he, he, and he had told me beforehand, you're not gonna, he's like, nobody gets me. It's never happened. You're like all the other reporters. He was like talking shit to me. And I was like, okay. And so he says to me at the end of the story running, he said, you nailed it. He goes, I don't necessarily like the person you wrote about, but the person you wrote about is me. And I'm like, that's about as good of a compliment as you can get. So. Another um, person I, uh, I know you interviewed who I think might be one of the best is Tiger Woods. I understand you walked 18 with him at, was it Torrey Pines? It was. Can you kind of walk me through what that experience was like, what Tiger was like? Yeah, that's another example. I mean, so, you know, I had pitched at the height of Tiger Mania. You know, he had a caddy that worked with him named Steve Williams. And Steve would, you know, yell at, at, at people who were shooting pictures in Tiger's backswing. And he, I think he like kicked a cameraman or something. Like, he was basically like Tiger's bouncer on the course. Um, the most famous kind of caddy in golf. And nobody really had... Told his story, and I said, "I want to tell a story about that guy. Uh, he's from New Zealand. He's a race car driver when he wasn't caddying, and so I I had reached out to him and I said, I want to tell your story.' And he said, "Yeah, for sure." He's like, "Let's do it. Come out to New Zealand." So I did. Um, went out and spent a few days with him and his family out there, and then on the way back, uh, we flew back to California. I think we were together, and then. Um, he said, why don't you walk a practice round with me and Tiger? I asked Tiger, it's totally cool with him, uh, during, uh, at Torrey Pines, the beginning of one season, I don't remember what year it was. And you talk about feeling like, 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 I'm not sure I've ever had a bigger ego than I did in that moment when, like, I'm walking down the middle of a fairway and literally it's Tiger Woods, his caddy, and me. And, like, nobody else, right? Like, everybody else is behind the lines. I mean, like, like there's no other sport in the world. Like, Michael Phelps isn't like, hey, come on, jump in the pool and, you know, do some doggy paddle next to me or, like, right? Like, there's nothing else where you can have that sort of access. And truthfully, the experience was um, it was literally just, like, three dudes hanging out, wisecracking and talking shit about all kinds of things. Like, like those two were busting on each other and, like, you know, teasing each other and like, that's a terrible shot and you're a terrible caddy or whatever. And like, you know, I remember, um, I I mean, if I remember correctly, I feel like there was like a moment where Tiger or Steve was like, Hey, like, you know, look at that woman behind the whatever tee, like, isn't she attractive or whatever? Like we were just like Neanderthal sportsmen being Neanderthal sportsmen. Only I was not a sportsman. Um, it was a really, really cool experience. And, and, you know, Tiger was Tiger was great. He was um, this is before all the all the the, the 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 chaos in his life. But 
you know, he was fantastic and welcoming. And, um, you know, I have a great picture in my office that's, you know, like literally he hits a shot and I'm looking up at it like, like with, you know, my, my hand over my eyes kind of shading the sun. And he's looking at it the exact same way. And the photographer that was there snapped a shot and there's just like incredible shot of it. it looks like, you know, Tiger and I are both are looking off to the distance and like, you know, one of these things is not like the other. Like, we'll put it that way in the photo. So, yeah, it was a fun experience. So, Tiger was really personable then because it seems like... Oh, my like gosh, he was fantastic. It, like, I've I've seen him play before in person a few times, and I've seen him... I mean, you pull up the Masters win when everyone's walking behind him, and he's just got a straight face. Yeah. Line. You never see him crack a smile during a round. He's so right. focused. He doesn't hear you. He doesn't give out high fives. It seems like... Was that like you, him kind of opening up to you, or that's just how he is as a person when I think, he turns it on? Yeah, I think that was me, that I'm just an incredible um, interviewer <laughs> and journalist, and I just broke down all his barriers quickly. No. Um, truthfully, uh, it was a practice round. I, it, I think it was like a Tuesday, so it's not nearly the uh, pressure as there is on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, right? Um, and again, like we touched on a few minutes ago, Tiger had an incentive for me to write a positive story about at that time, his best friend. Um, and positive publicity for Steve could get him more endorsements and more opportunities and different things, you know, in New Zealand and, and all over the world, truthfully. So, you know, there's a motivation there to make sure I have a great experience and I see this banter between the two of them and the fun they have as opposed to them being, you know, like total jerks. Um, and I write something or we produce something different. What would you have shot at Torrey Pines oh walking God. next to Tiger? 506. I have no <laughs> idea. I haven't picked up a golf club in so long. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't even I don't even I don't even know if I could have played the 18 holes without cheating and like done it from like sunrise and finished the course before the sun went down. With yeah. Tiger Woods. Well, with his help, you mean? No, like walking with Tiger Woods. I feel like oh, the dude, pressure by the first hole, he's like, high. by the first hole, he's like, this is the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen. I can't, <laughs> like, he would be like, I don't have the time. Like, the amount of money he makes per minute, I would waste like millions to just taking all day to, yeah, it would have been bad. Yeah. Uh, speaking of a different Steve, I know you're a diehard Cups fan. I know you tried to do a story on Steve Bartman. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, that was one of the most uncomfortable assignments of my entire career when. The year after, uh, I think it was the year after the Cubs lost in the 2003 playoffs, um, you know, my editor asked me to do a story, go to Chicago, and basically try to find Steve Bartman. And we were starting a new long-form feature, I don't know what you would call it, like unit or something like that at ESPN. We were starting a new thing. We called it E-Ticket. And it was going to be like kind of like a weekly big takeout story. Think about like a magazine cover story online. And the idea was the quest for Steve Bartman would be the first story that kind of launched the whole thing. And as a diehard Cub fan, who I think, if I'm not mistaken, is the same age as Steve, uh, I was incredibly uncomfortable. Um, I didn't really want to do it. I wasn't really comfortable doing it. There were colleagues of mine at ESPN who had been trying to get interviews with Steve already and hadn't had any success. And I kind of was tiptoeing around actually kind of finding him and, and doing it. And basically my editor at the time said to me, you know, go do your goddamn job basically. And I realized years later, he's a good friend of mine now, um, that 
he chose me for that assignment knowing that the emotion that I have in being a Cubs fan would prevent me from being too much of an asshole, essentially, right? Like, he basically took advantage of my emotions and knowing that I would handle it the right way, hmm. which that's, that's probably being a good editor, but boy, does it make for a miserable experience as the reporter and the writer. Um, and so I did a bunch of reporting and eventually uh, found out where Steve Bartman lived and he told me, like, basically, like, stay outside of his house that in the morning and, and wait for him to go to work. And so, I mean, like, look, like, I've interviewed Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods. We can go on and on about all the famous athletes and people. I have never been more uh, nervous, uncomfortable, awkward, and truthfully, like, I hated my job in, that, in those moments that morning. Um, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not that kind of journalist. I remember calling some other editors at the, at the, uh, at ESPN and being like, I don't know about this. Like, just do what you're told, whatever. I mean, they weren't that harsh, but paraphrasing, I'm like, okay. So he comes out that morning and, you know, like I follow him to work and I remember at some point we pulled up to a stoplight and I look over and I'm like, this is crazy. Like, like literally that's Steve, like I, like that's Steve Bartman. And then I lost him somewhere on the road. I actually did lose him. I didn't do it on purpose. And I went to where his office was and found, uh, his car in the park. He worked at like a big office park. I found his car in the parking lot and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And my editor was like, well, go back at the end of the day and wait for him to come out. And so I remember I went down to Wrigley that day. The Cubs played the Red Sox, and at, like, I don't know, 2 or 3 o'clock, it was a Friday, uh, I went back to the parking lot, and I sat there and waited uh, car by car as people left on a Friday. And so we were on, like, the roof of this parking garage. And so people, like, taking the elevator, and, like, the door opens, you know, to, to walk out onto the concrete, if you will. And if I remember correctly, there, it wasn't a glass door. It was like a door you couldn't see through. So every time the door would open, like my heart would jump like, oh crap, oh crap, right? This dude comes out at like 6.45 on a Friday night. And it might've been like 7.30. It, like, it was like two cars left. I'm like, I'm sitting there, doors opening. No, no. Is it him? No. Over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, like, I don't know, like a hundred times, right? And finally he comes out and... I had thought long and hard about what I wanted to say. Um, and, you know, basically in, in all the reporting I had done, the one thing that I came away with is I, I really just kind of felt, I felt bad for everything he had gone through. And, you know, if he was going to yell at me or kick me or punch me or whatever, I wanted to at least get out that sentence basically. So, you know, I go up to his car and I introduce myself and I think I handed him a business card, which is so weird. And I said, listen, I said, you know, I know this is super awkward and uncomfortable. Um, I am super uncomfortable right now, but I said, you know, I just want you to know, like on behalf of all Cub fans, like I think it sucks what you've had to go through. And I go, if you've ever, if you'd ever want to tell your story um, about, about that night and what you've gone through, I go, I think that I would do a great job you know, telling that story, basically something like that. And I remember he looked at, he, he, he took the business card and he looked at it and he said, um, just so you know, like jumping out of a car and cornering someone in a parking garage, you know, on a Friday night is not the best way to ask for an interview, uh, which I understand. And then he said something like, you know, I will, 
take this under consideration and like my legal team will get back to you. The number of people over the years who have emailed me or DM me on Twitter and asked, did his legal team ever get back to you? And do you have the link to that story? I'm like, no, like he never did. But I will tell you that I've heard uh, through intermediaries over the years that um, Steve and his family and his attorney uh, hate me with an undying passion. Um, and I completely understand. Um, you know, when we did, you know, I worked on the film Catching Hell, which we did was a 30 for 30 film. which was really well done. And we invited Steve to the um, premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. And I remember the director said to me that uh, Steve would not be there because he will not ever do anything that Wayne Drays is involved in. Um, when the Cubs gave Steve his, gave Steve a World Series ring after they won in 2016, he put out a brief statement, and his statement said something along the lines of like, you know, this is great and appreciated, whatever, but there was a sentence or two in there, I'll never forget it, that said something like, uh, you know, hopefully the media will leave me alone, you know, and yeah, he didn't say like jump out of the parking lot, but I read it that way, right, like, and, and move on. So, and like I said, I understand those emotions. I know why I would feel the exact same way if it was me. The other thing that I said over the years, though, about that is I'm a believer that, that Steve's decision to never talk to anybody or give an interview at all over the years, while I respect it, the, the, the counter side of that is that fosters curiosity. That makes him a mysterious person. Right, he has this sort of weird aura around, like where is whatever happened to that guy? No, no, we never heard from him, right? And I'm, I'm, I've always been of the belief that like if he sat down and did an interview, um, way back then, it all kind of would have gone away. Um, I'm not sitting outside his house. I am not saying that you know that was the right or wrong thing to do. I'm not, you know, disagreeing with the way he and his people feel about me. I just feel like that choice that they made, this is one of the repercussions. Of, of making that choice. If it wasn't me, somebody else would have done the exact same thing. That's a long answer. Yeah. Good one. Captivating. Yeah. A good one, Don. Yeah. Yeah. Captivating. <laughs> Sorry. I want to, I've, I've, we could probably sit here for four hours, like you said, and, and go through the names, but another interesting one is Michael Phelps. Yes. I think that story was in the mid, or in the midst of his, I can't remember exactly. It was, it was like, like a drug problem, wasn't it? Wasn't he in trouble for, Smoking weed? He, he got was? caught once uh, with a photo of him with a bong, but his, his main issue, I mean, I, I, I would say, you know, he, maybe he had uh, a bit of a drinking problem, but, but more than anything else, I think he battled, um, I think he battled depression, I think he battled anxiety, I think he battled um, a complicated family life with his dad, um, and... I think he's one of the people, I mean, kind of like Tiger in a way, who were thrust into the global sports spotlight at such an early age. And we don't, we didn't, and I don't even know if we do now, have the proper support channels in place or the proper teachings in place, but how the hell you handle that? You know, like, I mean, people would be like, oh my God, I wish you'd be Michael Phelps. No, you don't. No, you don't. Like every four years, you you have you have to. Sw I mean, the, the pressure on him to perform, and then look like in America, we build our athletes, especially back then, to be these like 
especially Olympic athletes, these perfect American heroes, right? Like Michael Phelps proves that we're greater than any other country in the world. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink. The other, the other, the other three years, he's not, you know, chasing the Olympics. He swims and he trains and uh, he reads the Bible and uh, he does. He doesn't do anything wrong because he's our great American hero. That's bullshit for any athlete, like for any human for that matter, to live up to that standard. Now, part of it is there's a marketing team around him that helps to sell that. They put him on the Wheaties box. They do this. They do that. That's an incredible amount of pressure to live up to, um, especially when you're someone who, you know, like so many of us, like have so many demons that are wrestling with from your childhood or this or that. Like, it's hard. And, you know, that was the, the, the root of Michael's struggles. Um, and I, you know, was grateful that he, before his last Olympics, when he had kind of, you know, matured quite a bit and, and was comfortable in his own skin, was willing to share those stories of what that's been like. And he was incredibly candid and open about, you know, what, what his time was like in rehab, um, how suicidal he was at various points, you know. Um, I mean, I, ta- I haven't talked to him in a, in, a, in a year or so, but even the last time we talked, even now, he still wrestles with things and has good days and bad days, um, like so many of us do. And, th- and that was one of the things that I came away from that story thinking and feeling is, like, I was kind of pissed at, like, like, the commercialization of our athletes after that story, where I'm like, why do we have to sell these people as perfectionists? Why can't we sell them as as the human beings that they are, just like we are? You know, like that's that's the reality situation. And you look now, and Michael's a huge um, speaker for you know uh, I don't know what it's called. I don't want to say the wrong company, but like a place where you can get mental health help on your phone and this and that. And he's totally open about what he's gone through. Um, and I and I think that's. That's, that's a great thing, and I think, you know, he really was one of the first huge athletes to admit that I deal with all these things, and I think that was a, a, a big turning point for, for athletes, and I, and I hope that moving forward we continue to not, you know, again, like build athletes as great American heroes or great heroes who do no wrong, because that's just not the reality of any human being in the world today. I wanted to mention like a different profile. Obviously, not as big of a name as these stars like Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods, but I know you wrote a piece for National Geographic on Lyle Thompson, a Native American lacrosse player. Yep, yep. T- tell, tell me more about that. So I didn't know anything about lacrosse. I didn't know anything about um, you know its history and whatnot. And they, uh, you know, ESPN had a partnership with with Nat Geo, who's both owned by Disney, and they wanted me to write about Lyle. Uh, and his family essentially uh, using their story as an example for the Iroquois fight to be included potentially in the Olympics should L.A. uh, add lacrosse to the Olympics, which they since have. Um, I really enjoyed that. I like coming into stories where I don't know anything um, because it just gives you a completely blank slate. I come with zero. I mean, I literally didn't know anything. The only thing I tell you I knew about lacrosse was like lacrosse bros. Like the stereotype of a lacrosse bro is kind of the only thing I knew, right? And I'm talking to these people, you know, from upstate New York 
who were telling me that, you know, they put the lacrosse stick uh, in the hands of a newborn, um, you know, and how, like, it's it's the medicine game that brings peace and calm and medicine. If somebody is sick in the community, they'll have a medicine game and play lacrosse to help everybody, uh, to help that individual feel better, how, you know, the lacrosse sticks uh, go, you know, are buried with the individual when they die, right? And I'm like, this is not lacrosse bros. This is not, like, right? So um, it was really interesting, really, really interesting thing in that the the deep roots that that sport has with the Native American community um, is fascinating. And I hope, uh, at least personally, that, you know, the the IOC will the, take that into consideration when they consider whether or not they want to let them, uh, you know, compete in the L.A. games. And shifting away from stories here, um, obviously, you know, the journalism landscape has changed quite a while. Uh, ESPN, the magazine, you know, you wrote for that, that no longer exists, unfortunately. So how does how does journalism, you know, survive to that? So I think that, look, journalism and storytelling have evolved over time um, with 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 all the mediums, right? Like there were, like like the same exact questions were being asked when the TV came out. Like now that we have a television newscast, who the heck's gonna listen to it on the radio, right? Uh, when uh, you know uh, the ma- the mag- the big glossy magazines came out, like well, who wants to read you know a five thousand word story in a newspaper, right? Like I am a proponent and and a believer that the mediums are going to constantly change and evolve. But the quest for uh, information and great storytelling um, is still as important as ever, right? Um, the majority of today's, like you guys, like the college students today, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you get the majority of your news probably today from TikTok. Is that fair or no? I would say Twitter. For okay. Me. For, for but TikTok, yeah. I would say for people who aren't in like the journalism field, okay, it would a lot of it would come from TikTok or right. kind of like surface level social media like that. Yep. But I feel like because we're a little more literate in terms of media, <laughs> fair, we would get it from maybe like a podcast or um, Twitter. Yep. I don't get. I don't take anything. I take everything with a grain of salt on Instagram. Uh, TikTok, things right. like that. But you would agree that you're the minority. Yes, right? I would agree. I know people who will send me TikToks and say, this is the latest news of the day, and it's just complete garbage. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And that's the way, you know, uh, Twitter was when it started, mm-hmm. right? Like, And so my point is, you know, there will be something in a year or five years or whatever that blows apart TikTok, and there's something better. But the point is that... We all want information and news as much as ever. When you see a great story, whatever you define a story as, right? If you see an incredible story, uh, an incredible video or something that's this emotional thing that you see on TikTok and it's 45 seconds, the first thing you do is send it to all your friends and your, your group chats or your Snapchat, whatever you're doing, right? Like, that's no different than emailing somebody a story 15 years ago or, you know, 30 years ago, standing at the water cooler and asking, you know, your coworker, like, did you see that story in the, in the Times this morning? Blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing. It's just that the importance of the same, of having the ability to uh, tell those stories and share that information is 
is as important as ever. The, the, the wrinkle in all of it now is the, the enormous amounts of misinformation, the enormous, and, and, and with that, the lack of trust in our industry, right? Like when I was growing up, people didn't second guess, like whatever, the New York Times or, you know, the NBC Nightly News or whatever, you know, CNN, whatever, you know, outlet you want to put on there. They didn't have these, uh, they weren't perceived to have these left or right, conservative or not, you know, uh, slants. And so now that's the challenge um, is, is dealing with so much information out there that is presented as fact that simply isn't fact. And how you counteract that, especially in a world with, artificial intelligence, especially in a world where there are algorithms watching you constantly that are knowing what you like, you don't like, how long you watch it, and then continuing to feed that same information. That's the challenge and that's the problem. But I think, you know, getting back to your original question, the importance of storytelling and information is as important as ever. I mean, look, I mean, I just walked, you know, over here from downtown, whatever, the 10-minute walk, almost every single person I passed, I've actually, I was actually watching this, had their head in their phone. Almost every single one. They're getting information, right? Maybe they're talking to somebody, but or they're reading Twitter, or they're, they're information overload. So, anyway. I really talk too much. <laughs> um, I know you talked about just trying to go, for, trying to get a degree in teaching, but now you're back here teaching at Iowa, so talk more about, like, you know, what classes you're teaching here. Yes, this is my plug. Uh, <laughs> that... Um, so when I, when I came here, whatever, 30 years ago, whatever it was, I, don't, I stopped counting, um, I didn't know if I wanted to be a teacher or a journalist. And that first semester GPA kind of pushed me towards being a journalist. And I literally had my dream job for 23 years. It was amazing. It was fantastic. Uh, I knew there would be a day when it would come to an end. Um, I had seen colleagues of mine who um, had gotten let go over the years, and I knew that kind of like an NFL head coach that like someday my day would come. My day came. Okay, fine. And so now what I'm passionate about is, is the other thing that I wanted to do. And that is, you know, getting in the classroom, interacting with you guys and other students and helping you guys excel in the next generation of journalism and storytelling and media, whether it's sports or not, um, and, 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 and wrestling with some of these issues that, you know, we just talked about. Um, when I was here, you know, there were, there were professors that I had who, in my opinion, uh, I mean, to be quite frank with you, didn't really give a crap and kind of mailed it in. And, that irritated me because I was so excited and so passionate about journalism and I'd get in these classes and, and the person in front of me just like, I got the impression that they didn't care. And I remember thinking to myself, like if I ever get the opportunity to teach, like I want to get people excited about journalism. And so the many, many times over the years that I would, you know, be asked to go to a college and speak or whatever, you know, they'd always, they would always say afterwards like, oh man, you're like so energetic and passionate. I'm like, yeah, because I don't want to be 
you know, the, the damn man or woman in front of class that I had a couple times in Iowa City, you know, there are people aren't here anymore, by the way, so don't worry if you're still here, you're not one of them, um, who didn't give a crap. Um, and who, who you can see people in class just like, oh my God, this is so boring. I don't, I, like, like, no. So, so anyway, so that's why I'm passionate, what I'm passionate about. The classes I'm teaching. Um, please go and register for these, by the way, because if you don't, then I can't do this. And this is what I really want to do. So um, the one thing we're, we're teaching in the winter semester, which is, I don't know if you've ever done this before in German school, but uh, Melissa Tully has been fantastic and essentially allowing me to teach a four-week class. Uh, three weeks are going to be on Zoom. And then uh, one of the weeks is going to be in person in Chicago over winter break where we are going to go around Chicago and um, interact, talk to various like sports media entities. So, for example, like go and visit the Big Ten Network. Um, go and sit down with the leadership of uh, CHGO, which is a, a a a huge sports blog, a national network that's been exploding, and they kind of they, they cover things um, a little bit differently. It's fascinating. Um, going to a Chicago Wolves and AHL practice and a hockey game is kind of the centerpiece of the class to produce some sort of sports content, whether it's a story, whether it's a, a podcast, whether it's a video, a TikTok, whatever, like doing it and doing it outside of, you know, the University of Iowa, Iowa City bubble, um, which is a great place, but seeing how things work in the city um, in, a, in, a, in a major sports media market. So that's one of the things. It's a winter. I didn't even know we had winter classes, for, to be honest. I didn't know there was a winter session. Apparently there is, and I'm teaching in it. So um, as much as everybody likes their uh, winter break, I did. You know, it's it's like Zoom twice a week. It's not a big, it's not a big deal. And, and then there's like four days we're in Chicago. It'll be fun. It'll be great. Okay. And then in this next semester, uh, in, the, in the spring semester, I'm teaching a sports writing class. Uh, I kind of prefer to call it sports media than sports writing, but whatever, we're going to dig into everything you can think about um, in, in sports writing, where it was, where it's going. It's going to be a hands-on class where I want everybody to write. We're going to, you know, uh, the morning after the Super Bowl, we have class, I believe, and I'm going to come in and, you know, play a 10, whatever, 10 minutes of the game and stop it and ask you to write a story or write a lead or something. Like, like it's not going to be me talking for three hours going to be doing stuff, which is what I would have wanted when I was a student. And then the other class um, is a class that's basically uh, called the history of college athletics, which sounds kind of boring, but if you hear me out, um, it's a class that's similar to something I took at the University of Michigan in 2010. I was there on a fellowship. And the idea with this class is to basically explore how and why um, the American collegiate sports are unlike any other country in the world. Like there's no other place where college sports is like a multi-billion dollar business. How did we get there? Uh, Where are we going? Um, I think it's like a topics class they call it or something, but I pitched this to Melissa and she was excited about it as well. So uh, we're going to do that class as well. Um, And it'll be super fun. So and hopefully knock on wood, you know, come uh, May, People aren't sitting there being like, oh, my God, this guy is so boring and doesn't care. Um, I know Kenna is in, what are you, in sports writing? 
Which one yeah, did you pick? Yeah, I signed up for the sports writing and the topic one. So I'll yes. see you next semester. Sounds good. I'm hoping I, I don't register until Wednesday. So if any uh, sophomores try and take my 3,000 level sports writing class with Wayne Drace, I'm going to be upset. So I'm going to try and get into that one. Um, why do you have to wait till Wednesday? I don't know. When, they they, just they pushed me back so yeah. late. I when, don't know why. When do? How does it work? It's I, it must be randomized. Oh. I'm a junior and I'm registering with like freshmen. That's good. It's based on how many credits you have. I'm gonna graduate on time. If anything, I'm gonna I can graduate early. Are you sure? I'm positive. <laughs> I'm taking 12 <laughs> semester hours right now and I'm gonna graduate on time. So I should be perfectly fine. That's funny. I think last time I looked, I was like the the fifth or sixth person in each class oh. out of 20. Colin, people are registering like after break. There's a really long okay. time. Okay. I will tell you too, and don't quote me on this, but I believe, especially for the college athletics class, uh -huh. that if there is a large demand, yeah. we can make it a little bit larger. Mm -hmm. When I took the class at Michigan, it was like 100 students. It was like a, it was a lecture, basically. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying they do that. I don't know how anything works here. I just kind of show up and do my thing. But I think like if it fills up quickly... I'll try and squeeze myself. We'll take I feel like you also might know the the, the professor, and we could like mm -hmm. maybe take twenty one people or something. We might have to. We'll yeah. be in touch. On we'll that. see that. Yeah, we'll um, see how nice this podcast turns out, and then we'll decide <laughs> <laughs> how how good of a light we shine you in. Um, two two things I wanted to do. Yeah, we um we go through uh like quick like questions Ooh, sometimes right. with some of our guests. So I've got two different uh, segments. The first one is people you've interviewed. So all I'm going to give you like six different questions, and you just got to give me a name. All Holy right. cow. All right. First is best quote. Uh, Landon Donovan. Worst quote. Um, who says nothing? Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to think. Worst quotes. I'll take uh, Ryan Sandberg. Funniest. Bodie Miller. Most rude. Barry Bonds. Not that day, though. <laughs> <laughs> One that you wanted but you never got. Mm, David Beckham. Greatest. Defined by however I want. I mean, Michael Jordan. Greatest athlete. Yeah. Period. Michael Jordan. And who's the most famous contact you have in your phone? So the problem is when I got let go, like my phone's off right now. I did my turn your phones off on podcast people. Um, when I got let go, I didn't realize so many of my numbers were saved on like ESPN. I think Michael Phelps is still on my phone. Michael Phelps, Lindsey Vaughn, uh, David Ross. Mm. Yeah. Too soon. Yeah, he's such a good guy. All right. The second, the second one I want to do is there's probably I probably have like a dozen uh, sports records, and I want you to tell me whether or not they're going to be broken. Ooh. Okay. First is Wayne Gretzky, fifty goals in thirty nine games. No. Mm, Wilt Chamberlain, hundred point game. Never. One hundred and eighteen fifty point games from Wilt Chamberlain. No. Glenn Hall, 502 consecutive starts as an NHL goalie. No. Eight straight Celtics championships. Never. Nolan Ryan, seven no-hitters. Mm, uh, no, because pitchers throw like four innings now. Yeah, it's all combined no-hitters. Yeah. Jerry Rice, 22,895 all-time receiving yards. 
I'm going to say yes only because we've been saying no so many times and, like, the game gets wide, wide, wide open and they start throwing, like, all the time and running back to become more obsolete, maybe. If you could see, if you could name one receiver in the NFL right now, who would break that? Who would it be? Oh, my gosh. I'm, uh, I'm not good at that. I mean, uh, Jamar Chase? I don't know. Cal Ripken. 2,632 consecutive games. No, no, no chance. Michael Phelps, gold medals. I think that's actually possibly doable. In swimming? Yes. Really? Yeah. I mean, there are, like, I mean, I see, I don't know, like, it comes across my feed, whatever I'm on at some point. Like, there's some kids that are breaking Michael's record at this and that. And Michael's, like, six-year-old, whatever. I'm mm-hmm. I'm exaggerating, but, like, I don't know. I, I don't want to keep saying no, but I feel like that's one that maybe could be done. Maybe. It's really hard. Bill Russell, 11 NBA championships. No. Uh, UConn women's basketball, 111 game-winning streak. Have the Iowa women, they haven't lost yet this year, right? They're still undefeated. Well, they're 2-0, but 2-0. Yeah, 2-0. 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, right? They're 1-0. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say, I'm gonna say probably not. The problem is with all these is that there's so much parody in all of sport now. Like, and, and it's designed for parody. It's just so like so hard. Ricky Henderson, 1,406 stolen bases. I was wondering which Rich, Ricky Henderson you were going to choose. No. Brett Favre, 297 consecutive games. Started. That's insane. Uh, Probably not. (laughs) This one's definitely going to be a no, then. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, 2,857 all-time points, which is 1,000 more than the guy who's number two. No, no, that's that's insane. Anything with Wayne is unbreakable. That's an excellent excellent point. Yeah, except uh, Alex Ovechkin's actually approaching... uh, the all-time career goals. Oh, you meant Wayne Gretzky. I thought you meant all Waynes. <laughs> oh, it could be both, yeah. Thought, Anything involving Wayne, meant, like, me, it's tough to beat. Wayne Rooney. <laughs> I thought you had all the Waynes. No. Okay. Last Chris one. Wayne. Last one, LeBron James' all-time leading scorer. By the time he retires, is someone going to beat him? Yes. Really? Cause How I soon? Because I can't stomach LeBron James being the all-time leading scorer. <laughs> how soon is he going to be? How soon will he get passed? How, how soon will someone pass him? Is it going to be... Uh, 50 years like no. it was with Kareem? No. Sooner? Because uh, the volume is so high for NBA points nowadays. That's like the way the NBA is changing the game is they want people to score points. How about I'm going to I'm throwing this, I'm going to say before 2040. Really? Yeah. Are we ever going to see a 200-point NBA game? Ever. Ever. I mean, the word ever, I mean, sure. It's the all-star game. Sure. You never know. True. Are the monsters going to come down <laughs> and, like... Yeah. So the original Space Jam was better than the second one. Oh yeah, I'm not even close. I fell asleep in the second Space Jam. <laughs> so twice, did you s- twice actually. Did you see the second? Did you guys see the second one first and then go back? Or you no, seen the no, 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 no. Okay. I've seen the original. Yeah. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to like disparage <laughs> your. your yeah, age. No, no, no. We're we're right. cultured. We're from outside of Chicago, so right, we're cultured. All right, all right good. <laughs> we're cultured. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm so old. I saw it in the theater like when it came out. Oh man. What was yeah. that? All right, that's not. We're not going to say the time ago. That does it for me, then. Yeah. NFL receivers, Justin Jefferson, get healthy soon. I need you for fantasy. <laughs> First rule of fantasy, nobody cares about your fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> not when you're 9-0, uh, actually. So. Wow. Impressive.
impressive. Just a fallback. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's Eagles. No one can, and you know the modern, no one cares about your fantasy team, and nobody cares about your, your bets either. Oh, my God, I had an 18 parlay in the last, nobody cares. I have uh, DeAndre Swift, Jalen Hurts, and De- uh, Devontae Smith all on one team, and it's a bye week, so. Have fun. I'm hurting. Nah. No pun intended. What? Say goodbye. Yes. All right. Well, we're here with Wayne Drace. Uh, great, almost hour-long conversation. We talked about a lot. Um, thank you again for popping in, and I hope to be in your class in a few weeks, a few months. Sounds good. And if you made it this far, um, you definitely need to sign up for my class. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm repping the Bears beanie. Okay. No, fourth one of the season. Okay. Monday night. Okay. Big Ten West style, 12 to 10. Mm-hmm. Bear down. What color are the shoes? They're... Just answer the question. What color are they? I knew there'd be what a... What color s- are the shoes, man? Black and green. <laughs> what color are the jeans? Blue. What color is the hoodie? Green. <laughs> what color is the hat? Blue. So it's nice and, alternation. And? And? And, but uh, an orange. Oh, and the orange. orange says that. That's what. An orange. Yeah. Now I will sacrifice fashion in the name of supporting my team. The bear is like just a little bit off center from like the middle of your forehead. Oh, jeez. No, hey, still off. Okay. Bears are dysfunctional, so you can't. Brett, yeah. you, can't you stay out of this before I come <laughs> for you next. You stay out of this. <laughs> All right. Well. I've, I've painted the best picture I could for our audience. Yep. So and I'm sure they all appreciate it. Are you going to ask me about my outfit? Do you have no. complaints about my uh, outfit? I was going to say, right uh, Blue Cower guy, Carhartt, stolen Valor. <laughs> <laughs> working construction, working construction, ripping cigs. You ever seen that video? I won't no. pull it up. I don't think you've ever worked construction in your life. I think it's like, it must be, I think it was Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles uh, or Blake Yeah, Bortles. yeah, yeah. Like, would be that guy. Be but but cool. we're, talking, we're not talking about Blake Bortles, we're talking about you. Have you worked a Blue Cower job in your life? Landscaping factory work ever? Um, no, I've not. But okay, you heard um, it here first. My parents would make me work around the house for like oh, ten dollars. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. So I'd have to like work in the garden or like wash the car and whatnot. Okay. Uh, like hose down the driveway. Hose down the driveway. Yeah, that really built I'm me up as a dri- man. Okay. So I think I've earned the right to wear a Carhartt. Okay. Times times two. Times two. Oh, oh yeah, he's got the carts way. Yeah, he's double dipping there. Too. He's double dipping. It's pretty cheap. I'm okay. not, I'm gonna buy myself a couple more Carhartt hoodies. Just okay. don't get the ones where it says Carhartt on the sleeve, and you look like an ambassador. Okay. It's just, it just doesn't flip. It has my to be belt. subtle. It has to be subtle. Okay. I'm like uh, the orange hat walking around. Just supporting the team here. And speaking of support, Iowa will need all the support it needs this Saturday at Lucas Oil Stadium against Michigan. The Wolverines. Um, obviously, the undefeated season. Um, they had some close calls the past three games against um, Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State. Still, you know, uh, without Jim Harbaugh. Some context would be uh, handy there. How, what kind? Of, provide that context, please. Ohio State and Penn State are both top ten teams. They are top ten teams. So, and, and they have uh, good offenses. Yeah. So. And Michigan still made them look. They held them under 20 points each of those games. Mm. What I'm thinking is Michigan doesn't really throw the ball that much, which is good. I think they can switch up the game plan, though. McCarthy's got the capability of just saying, hey, we'll flip the script. We'll take advantage of the loss of Cooper DeGene. You know, I mean, if he can get get outside the pocket, he can be dangerous. You could, but you'd have to make him... Like, how many you you can only make up for like so many yards in the passing game? You know what I'm saying? You can't win a game by just throwing the ball at Deshaun Lee the whole time. You know what I'm saying? At some point, they're gonna have to run the ball to Blake Corum, and like I could put him in my pocket. So I feel like, you know, the run game. I don't know. I feel like it could be a little more interesting than people think. Yeah, you think they cover that spread? Twenty three points. I think Michigan probably covers the spread alone. But but you're saying it's gonna be more interesting, but Michigan covers the spread. Yes. Wait, are you talking about the... Talking about Iowa. What, Wait, do you mean? what are you talking about? 
talking about you saying the game's gonna be interesting and you said Michigan's gonna cover. Oh, what's the, oh no, the spread is like twenty seven yeah. and a half. Oh, right? it's like tw- no, twenty three. I was talking about the point total. Oh, okay. I meant the <laughs> I meant Michigan could probably take the po- what's the point total? I you said it was idea. like below thirty. Oh, right? oh below? yeah, yeah. Or thirty three or something. Thirty three, yeah, thirty four. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't know. So I don't know if I will score that much, but I think Michigan could get pretty close. I'm just saying people think it's gonna be like fifty five to seven. I don't know about that. Yeah, last year or two years ago it was forty two to three. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be that bad. I would, with the way Iowa's defense is playing, I don't think it'll be that bad. But, you know, you had some NFL caliber guys in 2021 that still didn't still didn't work out. So True. But so did, but then again, Michigan also had Eden Hutchinson that year. And He's gone. But what? And McNamara. That they did, yeah. yes. Cade McNamara's mm-hmm. year. College football playoff, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Did they lose in the first round? They got killed by Georgia. Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know. I think it could be interesting. I think the thing to remember, too, is the fact that under Kirk Ferentz, uh, Iowa hardly gets blown out. Um, obviously, there's some outliers, uh, like the Penn State game this year, but their motto is to keep games close, and they're going to find a way to be in it until they have a shot to win the game. As generic as it sounds, it's all if the offense can if the offense can convert on third down, this could be a close game. Even potentially winnable game, upsettable game, if Iowa can consistently convert on a third down. Because if they don't, three and outs, that defense is going to get so tired yeah. so fast. Yeah, yeah. Time. That's time. what happened to Penn State. Because Michigan is not a slow-paced. We're going to give you time kind of offense. Time of possession is going to be huge in this one, and Iowa. They can't set up for field goals. Like, if you get in the red zone, I mean, granted, Michigan has the sixth best red zone defense in the nation, but Ooh. Iowa, they just can't set up for a field goal. If you get it within the 20, there has to be points on the board. Yeah. Like, you mean, break out the halfback pass, try a lateral, like, open up the playbook, make something happen. And what does Brian Ferentz have to lose at this mm-hmm. point, guys? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. 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 Might as well go out with a, right. with a bang. Yeah. I think... Uh, I think one of the most important players for Iowa this game is going to be Tory Taylor. Because if he can, if the offense is maybe, I mean, if the offense is struggling, then he can only do so much. But if the offense is like close, but not quite there yet to being very efficient in the game, I think if Tory Taylor can push the defense, or not push the, push the defense into a really good position and the Michigan offense into a tough position. That's just going to set the Iowa offense up in better field position. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and it also helped. They're indoors too. Uh, Tori yeah. said today he was just like, yeah, being indoors just is a, it's much better than playing outside. He's going to launch the ball. It's going to oh, be yeah. crazy. And yeah. turnovers is the key too. Yeah. Uh, Iowa cannot afford any turnovers, mm-hmm. and they're going to have to force some against Michigan too. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be hard to do. I believe McCarthy only has five interceptions, and uh, Michigan's only lost two fumbles this whole year. So they're going to be, be few and far between, but Iowa's, they just got to make something happen there. But is Iowa the best defense they've played yet? I'd say it's close between it's them close. and Ohio State. Penn State's yeah. awful good, too. Okay. But I don't think the gap between Ohio State and Penn State and Iowa's defense is far off at all. Yeah. Iowa's a top 10 at least defense. Mm-hmm. So it all kind of comes down to 
what kind of play style they're they're going out with. Yeah, or just how rested the defense is. Yeah. They can't be out there for 40 minutes like they were against Penn State. Like, yeah. that's not well, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, so I would say convert on third downs. I think Tory Taylor needs to have one of his best games yet in an Iowa uniform. And I think Sebastian need, Castro needs to go out there and take somebody's head off. Yeah, he did so against Nebraska. I think there was a play. He again. used one arm, arm bar to guy. Went flying. I think so he's a, a quote tweet. It's like, <clears throat> someone's got to yeah, tell Sebastian yeah. Castro these players have families. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's a silent weapon. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you look at what he did against Wisconsin, too. Yes. He single-handedly won that football Took game. Took over that game. And I expect him to play like an animal this weekend. And yeah. especially since uh, he doesn't necessarily get uh, the recognition that he deserves mm-hmm. from the media, peers. Yeah, That's true. I don't – he was – I know the all-Big Ten teams came out today. I don't – He was honorable mention for the coaches yeah. list, which is just absurd. Mm-hmm. I mean – I feel like he's the kind of player who is um, kind of like basketball. You always have that glue player, maybe kind of like Alex Caruso. Um, okay. Not so much this year because <laughs> the Bulls are atrocious. Yeah. But um, He's still been good, but he's had to kind of step up. But yeah. um, my point is, like, Alex Caruso, Alex Caruso is that kind of player where he's not going to go out and get 20 points every night, but he's going to be the key between winning and losing games at times. And I think Sebastian Castro is that kind of player where he's not going to go out and put up 18 tackles like Jay Higgins would. He's not going to intercept every single ball. But the fact that J.J. McCarthy can drop back um, and look left and glance right and see Sebastian Castro running at him (laughs) at full head of steam, Sebastian could just stop right where he is without even hitting J.J., Uh and that'll still be like, oh, my God, this guy's dangerous. You know, I mean, if you watch, if you go and watch Sebastian play, you'll be like, oh my goodness. He just, he runs so hard downhill. He's like a running back. Yeah. Runs so hard downhill and he does not care who's in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw another funny quote tweet, actually. I don't know if it's like the, but, um, or that was even just the tweet saying, uh, Iowa, uh, first punt of the game. They put in, like, put it, put in a walk on. Just a guy who hasn't played. Have him just the Michigan guy yes, is gonna I call a fair catch, and you just drip <laughs> that Michigan guy. Just take him out. Set like the guy will get tossed for targeting, obviously, but it's like he doesn't play anyway. So what's what's it gonna what's it gonna what's it gonna matter? You know, send a message early. But it's field position, though. You can't. Yeah. Get hey, but yards. at the beginning of the game, though, beginning of the game, like that's you, that's the one time you're gonna do it. Have you seen the? Um, the documentary, the not the I think it was a 2008 Beijing Olympics documentary of like the basketball, the USA team, the basketball no. team. I think there's it's on like Netflix. A, yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah, yeah. There's like the redeem team is what it was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With, um, like a, uh, Kobe Bryant, yes. Kobe and uh, Pau Gasol. Yes, there's like yes. a segment where because Kobe and Pau were on the Lakers and um, they were playing. Spain was playing the USA and. Kobe was basically just like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to kill Pau Gasol and just set the tone for the game. Yeah. And Pau sets like kind of like a brush screen on him. And Kobe just like spears him like Edge from yeah. WWE. <laughs> just clocked him and got called for a foul, obviously. But it like set kind of like the aggressive tone yeah. for the rest of the game. I think that's kind of the defense that Iowa needs to play. They don't play dirty, but they definitely play. I don't think anyone on the Iowa defense is soft. At all. Oh, very true. No, very I true. I think they're all very, very hard nosed. And Sebastian yeah. Cash is kind of like the leader of the pack. And I think very that's true. kind of important, you know. And no one believes in this team at all, mm-hmm. uh, except the team itself. And motivation. the team has that mentality. Uh, no one thinks we can win. 
and that makes us losers. So we're going to come out, and we're going to play hard, and we're going to win this game and prove to everyone that doubted us that we're for real and we deserve to be here. I think um, a lot of – like Iowa's schedule this year wasn't the most difficult by any means, but I think there were certainly a handful of games against half-decent teams that could have gone the other way. You know, yeah. the Minnesota game was a bad game. Penn State was a bad game, obviously. But, like, at the beginning of the season, Wisconsin was not necessarily a bad team, you know, when, yeah. when Iowa played them that early in the season. Wisconsin easily could have gone the other way. There were a couple of games against half-decent teams that could have gone the other way. Iowa State could have gone the other way. Um, I think Illinois, Illinois definitely could have. I'm not saying Illinois was a decent team, but no. Iowa easily could have lost that game. No, yeah. I just, I don't know. I think there are, I don't know, there's like a, something about this team where it's like, there's, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. There's kind of like a hard-nosed edge to the defense is kind of what I'm trying to say. And a lot of games could have gone the other way. This one could certainly go both ways, but I don't, I think if you look at the season as a whole, there have been, there's been ample evidence that, um, you know, there's potential for this game if everything clicks like it did against Rutgers. Rutgers could 100% gone the other way. Everything clicked, and you know they had, they had their best game of the year. Yeah, every, so. yeah all Northwestern could have gone the other way. Yeah. You know, yeah. and Northwestern turned out to be a half decent team. So, I don't know. Big time coach of the year, David Braun. Yeah, you kind of what a job he's doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, from one to seven, that's. I mean, as much as people are saying Kirk deserves it, which I mean, he's certainly in that conversation. Yep. Yeah, but to go from one win to seven wins with probably the same round, how much roster turnover there 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 was in Northwestern, but pretty much almost the same roster as the last year to be able to do that is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, now that. That time of the show, score predictions. Um, Kenna actually oh, sent me goodness. her prediction. I know, and on the line for pregame, she did pick Michigan, but wow. she made an about face up in the press box. And now she has 14 to 13 Iowa. The, no the same way. score as in 2016 when uh, Keith Duncan hit that walk off field goal um, at Kinnick. She says uh, Iowa's defense is going to have a safety. Jay Higgins, oh. back in his uh, old stopping guns from Indianapolis, is going to have an interception. And LaShawn Williams is going to have himself a good game. LaShawn Williams actually has three plays of 50-plus yards uh, running. So if any, if they're going to find a spark, he, he's, the, he's that spark. And for my score prediction, I'm going to go Michigan. Michigan. Michigan 23, Iowa 10. I think the game uh, definitely is going to be close uh, for the first three, three and a half quarters. But to me, Michigan just has too much. Uh, Blake Corum, especially, I think it's going to wear down uh, the Iowa front. And at the end of the day, uh, Michigan takes it 27 to 10. Was I the only one who picked Iowa and on the line? Uh, I shouldn't. Mike Merrick, if you're listening to this, some of you are on the line fix. But no, you are not. Uh, so, uh, Michael needs to. Michael still needs to pick his? Yeah. He okay, never well, he never answers the email. I always text him. Well, he's going to pick Michigan right anyways. Okay. So. He, he's going. Actually, he might pick Iowa. Never know. Um, I'm going to pick Iowa. 
I that's because I go to the University of Iowa. Okay. Strictly I think it as would a, be okay. I've said this before, I think it would be treacherous to Roy Higgins to say otherwise. Our first guest <laughs> on this show. It would be treacherous to say otherwise. Um, every time I might pick someone other than Iowa, I turn around and I think, what would Roy Higgins think if he saw this? He would be disappointed in me. <laughs> so I'm going to go <laughs> Iowa. Oh, man, I can't give him above 20. That'd be crazy. Uh, <laughs> Iowa 23, Michigan mm, 20. We're in for a hell of a game. Wow. Okay, you heard it here first. Defensive touchdown. Deacon Hill throws for 178 yards. Okay. And a touchdown to uh, Addison Stringa. Okay. Okay. Actually, no, Caleb Brown, Caleb Brown, Caleb Brown. And then like a rushing touchdown in there somewhere. A couple of Marshall Mathers, field goals, whatever. You name it. Okay. You name it. Everyone. Drew Stevens still says it started for this week. So well, it's going to be Marshall Mathers. If Meter enters this game again, that'll be a very bad sign for Iowa. Yes. So. Well, it wasn't a bad sign last time. We will see. And that concludes this episode. Uh, We'll catch you guys next week. This episode of Press Box Banter is hosted by Kenna Roaring, Colin Botsmeyer, Matt McGowan, and Brad Schultz, and produced by Jamie Martin Turner. This episode was recorded on November 9th and November 28th.